So if you have a Bible, you might like to open to that. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to read from verse 6. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 from verse 6. Paul writes, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should give what he or she has decided in their heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men and women will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now, whenever I uh, read that passage or, or hear it being read, I, um, my, my mind goes to a story that's told about someone visiting a little church uh, in a suburb in the uh, poorer part of town. And uh, this fellow pulled up outside the little church hall in his top-of-the-range uh, sports car, bright red thing, you know, able to do uh, who knows what kind of speed. He uh, shut off the engine, he checked his Rolex watch, straightened his uh, cufflinks and shirt and so on, got out of the car, straightened up his uh, expensive Italian designer suit and made his way in to this little church hall. When the worship leader saw him coming in, he had no one he was going to visit, and so he motioned for him to come up to the front onto the stage so that he could share with folks. And the man began. Years ago, I attended a service here. Back then, I was down to my very last dollar. But when the offering bag came around, I decided that night I would give all that I had to God. And so I put it in, my very last dollar, I gave it all. And folks, I want to tell you that from that night on, I began to experience wonderful financial blessing. And I stand before you today as a very wealthy man. But remember how it started. And I'm so glad way back then that I gave all I had to God. And an old woman in the front row called out, I dare you to do it again. <laughs> well, in his second letter to the Corinthian church, the Apostle Paul dares them to be generous. He dares them to be generous givers. And it's important to keep that 
truth in mind, that point in mind, as we read through 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and we're going to look at some different parts of those passages today. And that because the reason we've got to keep this in mind, that Paul is daring them to be generous givers, is that often these very chapters that we're looking at today are used by some Christians to promote a kind of get-rich-quick scheme. It's often called the prosperity gospel. And the idea of the prosperity gospel is that we give some money for God's purposes and then God multiplies that and gives us back riches. It's kind of giving to get. It's kind of investing. It's actually kind of like gambling on God. You know how I know every ad break on TV, there's a, an ad from some gaming company saying, <clears throat> you know, put on a bet and we'll look after you. You know, you're going to be a winner. Gamble with us. Well, a prosperity gospel is actually kind of saying, gamble with God. You put something in the offering, you be generous and stand back and wait for the abundance of God for prosperity to flow into your life. Now the problem with that view, and there are many of them, but one of the big problems with it is that it makes money the supreme thing. And God is simply a servant. God just serves as a means to getting more money. Whereas by contrast, the Apostle Paul, as we look at this passage, we're going to see, the Apostle Paul calls him to give money to serve God. To give money to serve God so that God's will and God's glory might be magnified. This recognizes that God is above all, and this sees money not as the ultimate thing, but as simply one of a number of means by which we might serve God and bring him glory. In 2 Corinthians, Paul isn't talking about how to get rich. Paul is talking about how to give generously. And he dares them, and as we read his words, we are dared as well to give, to be generous people. Now, why am I talking about this in the middle of a series on legacy? Partly because Tim invited me to talk about this topic. But uh, also because, as I thought about it, it seems to me that legacy means giving. Legacy means giving. By definition, a legacy is something that we pass on to others. Often we think of it in terms of what we're going to leave in our will, don't we? I want to leave a legacy for others. We think of perhaps setting our children up or others up for, with uh, you know, a financial future. So we know that legacy is something we give, but often we just think it's something we leave when we kind of, you know, depart this life. But I think legacy is broader than a question of what you're going to put in your will. Legacy is about how we're going to live. A legacy is about how we're going to put in to others. And I know next week I think it is we're looking at legacy in terms of parenting and then legacy in terms of relationships. It's about giving of ourselves to benefit others. Well, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul writes about giving money to others, using money to bless, bless or benefit other people. But today, I'm not just talking about money. I am talking about money, but not just that. Today, I want to uh, talk about a spirit 
of generosity. A spirit of generosity that underlies what we might call legacy living. Not just legacy leaving, as in what we're going to leave when we're gone, but legacy living, what we're going to give to others as we live. Legacy means living to give rather than to get. This is the spirit of Paul's teaching. Now, to put 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 in context, we need to understand that Paul was writing to this church to encourage them to join other churches in contributing to an offering to support the church in Jerusalem that was in great need. The whole point of the passage is that Christianity is not about looking after ourselves, it's about looking out for others. It's about sharing with others. It's about living to give. So Paul didn't write to tell them how to become wealthy. He told them instead how to give well. Indeed, how to excel in giving. One point he says in in this, this part of Corinthians, he says, you know, Corinthians, you're wonderful at all sorts of things. And the Corinthians were people who had great pride and they liked to think they were the best. And so Paul writes him and he talks about, you know, you excel in faith, you excel in service, you excel in all sorts of things, you excel in knowledge, or strive to excel in giving as well. He dares them to be generous. And this focus on giving shouldn't surprise us because it's at the very heart of the Christian faith, isn't it? And the heart of our faith is love, God is love. And it's a love that's not abstract or remote, detached from life. God is love is expressed in practical action. And so in perhaps the most familiar verse to us, John 3, 16, we read, For God so loved the world that he gave. God just doesn't love the world in a kind of warm and fuzzy kind of way. It's God so loves the world that he gave, he gave his son. And throughout the Bible, we see over and over the generosity of God being expressed as God gives of himself to bless people. And we see a principle throughout scriptures that is really central to Christian living, and that principle is this. Whatever God gives to us, God calls us to share with others. Whatever God gives to us, God calls us to share with others. You think about it. God gives us the truth of the gospel and life in Christ. And then he tells us to share that in mission and evangelism. God gives us spiritual gifts, abilities to serve him. And then God tells us to use those gifts in building up his body, the church. God gives us hope. And then he calls us to be hope sharers in a world that needs hope. Whatever God gives to us is given for sharing with others. This is the heart of the Christian message. Have a listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 8 to 11 again. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, You will abound in every good work. You see, God gives, 
that we might use what he gives to bless others. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed, will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way. Why? So you can sit around and say, I'm rich? No. So that you can be generous on every occasion. See how this principle works out. That God gives so that we might give to others. Did you notice that Paul writes about God increasing our seed, not our dough? Did you you see that in the passage? He says, God will increase your seed. What's the use of seed if you don't give it away? Seed is for sowing, isn't it? God will increase your seed. God will supply our resources for sharing with others, not riches, for us to consume ourselves. Seed to sow into good deeds. That is what God promises to give us. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound, you will overflow in every good work. If we want to serve God, God will enable us to do it. If we want to share with others, God will enable us to do it. Annette and I have found this a number of times uh, through our walks with God, that uh, when we have felt called to do something that was a bit sacrificial, we have been surprised over and over to find that God provides the resource so that we are able to make a sacrifice. For me, it started back uh, when I first went to theological college a long time ago now. But uh, my plan had been that I was going to live off my savings. And I was uh, an accountant in my former profession, so I had thought about the numbers. And, uh, you know, I wanted to be financially responsible in going to college for five years and that sort of thing. And so I had saved some money, set it aside, and I thought the plan is I now live off the savings over the next five years. And uh, I remember that uh, very early in my first year, my car needed some work done on it. And so I went to the mechanic and I uh, ended up paying the bill. And I remember driving home thinking, that's the first chunk gone of the money. Just as well, I've got others set aside. Then I got home, I opened the mailbox. There was an envelope with no name on it other than just a David on the front. And in the envelope was a gift of money almost the same as what I just spent at the mechanics. That is the only time that has ever happened to me. All right, and I'm not saying go home and check your letterbox today, all right? I'm not saying that. But what God said to me in that moment was, you can trust me with this. You don't not be reckless, it was you can trust me with this. If you will make the sacrifice, I will supply the means. And as we sang earlier, we can be confident in his faithfulness. God supplies the seed so we can sow it. He will ensure you have seed to sow, something to give to others. I'm not saying God will make us all millionaires so that we can be you know, incredibly generous in our giving. What I'm saying is if we have a heart to give to serve, we want to share 
God will give us some stuff to share. He will do that. I've seen examples of that over and over. So remember, Paul is writing to encourage giving, not getting. Paul is talking about how do you live as a legacy person, a person who's here for others, a person who's here to give. He's saying, well, God will supply. In in 2 Corinthians, when Paul wants to offer an example to the Corinthian church, it's interesting that he didn't choose a church that was incredibly wealthy. He chose a church that was really poor and yet generous. If you have a look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 4, you see this, uh, this reference that he makes. And it's an interesting reference, isn't it? Because we might think, oh, if we wanted to talk to people and say, excel in giving and all of that, we might want to say, well, let me tell you about this really wealthy guy and how much money he put in, you know, he was a massive donor or something like that. But Paul does this, he, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. It's quite a remarkable statement there from Paul. It's quite a remarkable church that he points us to, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's quite unexpected that we would find these three descriptors of the same people. Overflowing joy, extreme poverty, and rich generosity. They're interesting descriptions to put together, aren't they? You know, there's an incredible poverty that they're living in. And yet, they have an overflowing joy in the midst of that. And with that spirit of joy, they are then richly generous to others. You know, these folks did not have much in their bank accounts, but I tell you, they had heaps in their heart, didn't they? They had hearts that were full of love and joy and that overflowed with generosity. They give generously, sacrificially, joyfully. Paul writes in verse 4 that they saw giving as a privilege, that they pleaded to give more. Quite literally here, they begged to give. That's striking, isn't it? That's why I put that little hat in the picture there with the money in front of it. It's not like the guy saying, please give. It's like, please take. Please let me help you. That's what these Macedonians were saying. Paul, we know those Christians in Jerusalem are suffering. Please let us, out of our meager resources, lend a hand and contribute. They give generously, from the heart, with an overabundant kind of spirit. This is what Paul is wanting to highlight here. It's not the the dollars, you know, or the shekels or whatever they were giving in. It's The heart. What kind of heart's this coming out of? Paul says in verse 5, they didn't just give money, they gave themselves first to God. These were people who were fully devoted to God and their money just followed that. So what does our attitude say 
about our hearts? What is our attitude towards need and towards giving, towards legacy? Say about what's in our hearts. You know, think of this overflowing joy, rich generosity. Wouldn't it be great? We might not want the extreme poverty to be said about us, but hey, I'd love the other two things. That guy was overflowing with joy and was rich in generosity. And these are the things that Paul wants to pick up and say, Corinthians, you know, for all their pride, this is the interesting thing. Paul plays on their pride a bit, you know, because the Corinthians, like I said, like to think they were the best. And Paul says to them, you know, when it comes to giving, what about these Macedonians? And he's trying to encourage and to prompt, to provoke these Corinthians into saying, we're better than those Macedonians. You know, we can do super overflowing joy. We might not have extreme poverty, but we're going to be mega rich generous, generosity. That's what Paul's aiming for here in presenting this thing. But he's wanting to stir up in them a sense of, hey, this is the Christian spirit. To be joyful and generous. Do we have that kind of spirit? Now, sometimes when we talk about giving, the focus falls on us, uh, for us on well, how much should we give. And I don't know how many conversations I've had over the years with people and debates and Bible study groups and probably preached on it as well about tithing, you know, should we give 10% or is that just an Old Testament law or is that, you know, remember they paid taxes or they didn't pay taxes, we do, all that kind of stuff, people talk around it. Often they're actually asking not how much should we give but how little can I give and still get a tick, all right? Um, Well, I think tithing is just a start. It's not talked about in the New Testament because I think it's just a start. Paul doesn't specify any amount here. Paul promotes an attitude. It's an attitude of generosity. And so instead of getting hung up on whether to tithe or not, I would say develop a generous, joyful, thankful heart and then give out of that. Have the kind of spirit this is, the overflowing joy and the rich generosity, and then express yourself in your giving. We like to express ourselves these days, don't we? You know, I want to be me. Well, Paul is saying, well, you develop you then. A generous you, a joyful you, a legacy living you. And then be you. Be expressive. Be generous. This is the attitude that he's calling us to have. Perhaps the best measure of generosity is not how much we give, but how much we keep for ourselves. Well, in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, Paul observes this principle when he's thinking around these things. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Some people, as I've said, turn that into like a promise almost. You know, here it is, you know, you put in X dollars, you'll get X, you know, exponentially increased back. You'll get it multiplied back. So, you know, so generously, folks, so you're also going to reap generously. So into my ministry, you might have heard some people say, so that, you know, you'll get lots of benefits back. Well, remember, Paul isn't promoting a get-rich scheme here. He's promoting generosity. So I think his point is not about how some kind of investment scheme works. What he's talking about here is that there are two ways to live, two approaches to things. There's a mean way and there's a generous way. You know, there's those who sow sparingly and there's those who sow generously. So there's the mean and there's the generous. 
These are two different ways of approaching life. People who go through life thinking, what am I going to get out of this? And there are people who go through life thinking, what can I give to this? So this is, uh, you know, there are people who say, um, hey, I want to live for myself, look after myself. And there are people who say, I want to be a legacy person who's here to give to others. It seems to me that if we are mean, then we will have small hearts because they'll just be orbiting around ourselves. And when we have a small heart, when we're closed up like that, then we're actually not able to receive much. But a generous spirit grows our heart because it opens our heart up to embrace others. And when we're opened up like that, then we're in a position where we're more able to receive the good gifts that God and others will want to give to us. I've noticed that people who are mean towards others actually don't have a lot of joy in themselves. I don't know if you've noticed that too. They are, can be a little bit sometimes. Scrooge is obviously an extreme example in literature. But uh, often if people are mean-spirited, then they're also not terribly joyful. They might have a lot of stuff, but they don't even always enjoy all that stuff that they've got. Whereas generous people seem to be happier people. So how's your happiness? How's your spirit? Do you enjoy living for others and giving to others? If we want to be happier in life, part of the secret is to focus less on ourselves and more on others, isn't it? Because there's a joy that flows when we open ourselves up and seek to be generous to people. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. A few months ago, I visited with a few other people at a building site up in Croydon. And it was one of our Burmese churches in the BUV, a Victoria Chin Church. They're working on a, on a huge building that's uh, going to uh, be a facility for hundreds and hundreds of people. And uh, when we were there, they were showing us around the building and so on. And it's a very impressive project. And uh, what impressed me, though, more than the actual building was the fact that uh, this whole congregation, it seems, or many, many of them, are involved in such a generous and joyful way. Nearly everyone in that congregation is a refugee. Uh, they have low-paying jobs, if they have jobs, and they all rent homes. Uh, but together, they have been able to gather a large sum of money and they are giving an incredible amount of voluntary time to that building. We saw all these people working there, and the pastor said to me, you know, this is, uh, we were there late morning, and he said, uh, we have some people who come for three hours, and they work here voluntarily, and then they go and do afternoon shift in their work for eight hours. Then we have other people who are working in the morning and whatever, doing their eight hours, and then when they have finished their day's work, they come here and they serve for three hours. It's a church where they have to roster the working bees because so many people want to come. It would not be safe to have them all working on site. So they kind of say, well, you lot are next Saturday. You'll not be one after that, and you lot are coming the week after that. And people go, I can't wait for my time to come. Right? This is the spirit of generosity these people have. And, and as I was walking around and interacting with some of those people, what I really noticed was there was an enormous amount of joy in that place. Great joy. 
Their hearts are overflowing. They're excelling in generosity. They're poor people, but they're legacy livers. They are giving for God and others. They're sowing generously. And boy, are they reaping generously in terms of the joy that they're having in that project. They're like the Macedonian Christians. Well, in 2 Corinthians 8, 6 to 9, Paul called the uh, Corinthians, as I've said, to excel in giving. He didn't do that so he could get a whole lot of money out of them. He did that so that they would grow in love. He really wanted these people to grow in love. And so he calls them to be great givers because, you see, giving exercises the love muscles, doesn't it? You know, giving is one of those kind of exercises that pulls us beyond ourselves and out to to others. And in calling them to excel in giving, Paul is really, he's wanting them to grow in love, but beyond even that, he's wanting them to become more like Jesus. This was a discipleship question. This was a Christian maturity question. Paul is wanting them to become more like Jesus, and he points them to the example of Jesus, and he says, he became poor so that we might become rich. Jesus is the ultimate legacy liver, the ultimate giver, isn't he? He gives himself. He becomes poor, pours himself out so that we might be blessed. And we are called to be like Jesus, to follow in his way. So does our giving reflect our commitment to follow Jesus? Do we walk in his way? Do we put our money where our faith is? Are you living a legacy? Are you trying to be a gift to others like Jesus has been? Well, Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians 8, comes to 10 to 12, and he reminds us there that love doesn't stop at good intentions and warm feelings. Love's expressed in action. As I said before, God didn't just love the world. God gave his son. Jesus didn't just uh, think of us warmly. Jesus gave himself for us. As his followers, let's, just, let's not just feel generous, let's give generously as we are able to benefit others. And we are to give not out of some sense of duty. I'd better give because that's the Christian thing to do. We are to give with a sense of delight, liberality, generosity as an expression of our love for Jesus. To quote 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. And notice how Paul says in your heart there. It's not like you've sat down and done a thing on the abacus, you know, and worked out what 10% was or something. He's saying no. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, so not as a duty, not because someone's twisting your arm with a campaign, but give because God loves a cheerful giver. Literally, God loves a hilarious giver. It's not just the old, you know, cheerful is such a soft kind of word, isn't it? It's almost like, mm, I've got a rather polite Christian kind of smile on my face while I put my offering in. But Paul writes, God loves a hilarious giver. Somebody kind of gets carried away with it. You know, it's like the person who hears the joke and they can't stop laughing. Right? It's this, like, they see the need and they can't stop giving. God loves a hilarious giver. You know, think of the overflowing joy of the Macedonians. They're hilarious in their giving. They're, it's pouring out of them, overflowing. 
And God loves a hilarious giver, not because God says, oh, gee, I'm getting a lot from this character. God loves a hilarious giver because when God sees his people giving in that way, God says, they remind me of myself. You know, as parents, one of the greatest joys we have in life is when we see our children reflecting our values, isn't it? And we kind of say, they, you know, they've been paying attention all those years. They've caught something from us. They value what we value. And that gives us great joy. Well, when God sees us giving generously, it's a delight to our Father in heaven. Because he knows how to give good gifts to his children, doesn't he? He gives and he gives and he gives. He so loved that he gave his very best for the world. God loves a hilarious giver. Finally, Paul tells us that generous giving, legacy, you know, legacy stuff, builds relationships. Giving to others expresses that it's not just about me, it's about us. And let me just read two short couple of verses that reinforce this for us. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 13 to 15, Paul says, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it's written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. So you see Paul's saying here this thing of, what I want is relationship, community here. That we're helping one another out as we are able, as we are in need. We help that person today, they help us. We're together in this. Then in um, 2 Corinthians 9, verses 12 to 14, he writes, This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men and women will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. See, Paul isn't writing about life as some sort of competition where we have to make sure that we either keep up or get ahead of others. Paul is writing about life in terms of cooperation and community. That we are here for one another. And that we are to take from what we have to bless others. And we are to receive from others as we are in need. It's about sharing together in love. And Paul notes here that generosity, legacy, giving, not only brings joy to the giver, but it causes people to give thanks to God as well. So the receiver gets joy because, like the kids getting these shoeboxes. They open them up and they say, Wow, somebody sent me this stuff, the Spider-Man stuff or whatever it is that you put in there. There's joy for them. Hopefully there's been joy for you in bringing these boxes and in giving the gift. And there's glory to God when someone somewhere who gets that gift says, thanks be to God that somebody loved enough to give the gift. And so Paul's trying to encourage that kind of spirit. We're here for one another, and we're here to bring glory to God. And it's a beautiful thing, isn't it, when we're able to give something, and it blesses a person, and it causes thanks to God. You know, um, a few weeks ago, 
back in the BUV office, we were told about a refugee pastor who had written his car off in an accident and he hadn't got around to insuring it. All right, so uh, this presented a crisis for him and his rather large family. And we had been thinking, how can we go about helping this family? And then not knowing anything about that, we got an email in from one of our pastors in one of our churches who said, uh, look, um, I've got a person in my church who's got a seven-seater van that they're wanting to give away. Do you know anyone that they could give that to? And we thought, wow, this is brilliant. So we were able to link that van giver with this vanless family, and uh, they met together and, and, and exchanged the gift um, just last week. And then one of my jobs tomorrow is to write a letter to the donor and just to say, thanks so much for your generous gift. You have blessed that family. I hope you've been blessed. And you know, I've shared that story with the church on Sunday to encourage generosity and uh, so that we can give thanks to God together. So uh, Paul is writing about that kind of stuff, living for those kind of experiences, giving so that we can bless people and we can bring honor to God. Paul writes, the people will praise God because God's people have used what God has given us to do good in God's name. He's telling us, you know that money stuff? You can use it to bless people and to honor God. What could be better than that? Then he ends in verse 15 with this cry, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And I reckon he's talking about Jesus and the life we have in him. After all the talk about giving, the bottom line is that we can never outgive God. We can never outgive God. He has been so generous to us. All we can ever do is express our thanks to him. And one of the ways we do that is by taking what God has given us and sharing it with others for his glory. I dare you to be generous. I call you to excel in giving. I encourage you to live a legacy. Amen. Let's sit quietly and uh, God might just want to whisper something to you about some gift that he wants you to make. To, uh, to someone today. Let's sit quietly and listen to him. Father God, we thank you that you are our good Father who knows how to give good gifts to his children and who has been so incredibly generous and kind in doing it. We thank you that we are a richly blessed people in so many ways. And we pray that you would help us to become more and more like you, to be people of generosity, of love and of kindness. So give us wisdom and courage in these things, we pray. Help us not to be silly about it, but, Father, help us to be generous about it. When we see needs, help us to be quick to respond as we are able to. 
All for your honor and glory and for the blessing of others. We pray in Jesus' name.